Welcome back, everyone, to episode 32 of your ex-boyfriend's podcast, titled The Quiet Quitter. A little bit of old business before we get started. There was something from last episode in which I talked about overfunctioning that I realized after I had released the episode, days later, I realized that I hadn't... uh, hit on one key point, key topic um, within the subject that I had meant to. So I wanted to throw it in real quick here at the beginning of this week's episode. We talked about over-functioning last week, trying to manage somebody else's experience in the world, and thereby not being 100% authentic and truthful with your own expression, with your own experience. Doing this robs the other person that you care about of the chance to make well-informed decisions with all of the information available. If you care about them, they deserve to know the complete picture so that they can in turn make a sound decision with it. And I think that is a big, it's one of the bigger reasons to be mindful of when you are um, behaving in this way, when you are over-functioning, when you are speaking or acting with the intent of eliciting a certain reaction a certain thought pattern, a certain whatever from the other person. Doing that means you are robbing them of the truth. You are robbing them of the ability to make a well-informed decision. And if you reverse that, I think you know very well, I do certainly know this, that feels terrible when done to you. And most often, you don't even realize in the moment. It's something that you are going to realize later. That you didn't have all the information. That somebody, as we said before, manipulated you. It's a shitty feeling. So, keep that in mind. You don't want to be visiting that on other people. Especially the ones that you love. Okay, so. Episode 32. The quiet quitter. Two things have prompted me to make this episode. Two recent things. You may or may not have seen in the news recently, there's been some attention, some coverage of this term. Quote unquote, the quiet quitter or quiet quitting. Which, by the way, is a terrible term. We'll get to that. <laughs> But it's it's a horrible, stupid term for what they're talking about. Um, that, and also probably you've seen in the news, if you pay attention, the teachers' union for a certain school district is striking. And that particular school district happens to be the one that my friend and guest on the show, John, is a part of. So he's currently on strike. 
these two events have got me thinking more so than usual about the working environment in which most of us in this country operate. It's something I care a lot about. It's been a while since we've talked about it. I believe, shit, I think it was probably like episode seven, six, somewhere in there, in which I talked about a lot of work-related stuff. But it's something I care greatly about, something I deal with on a daily basis. We all deal with on a daily basis. And I think it deserves more attention. So we're going to give it some. If you haven't heard of this term quiet quitting or the quiet quitter, here's basically what it is. I don't know who coined the term. It's stupid. So it's probably a fucking media outlet, some news corporation. But essentially what quiet quitting is, is this. It is setting boundaries at work that limit the amount of above and beyond stuff that you do. It is working only while you're on the clock. It is working only while you are physically at work. If that is part of your job going into the office or into the job site, it is limiting hours in which you are reachable outside of work. It is not taking on extra responsibility for no uh, increase in pay. Quiet quitting, this term, has been thrown around on both sides, positive and negative, by the news. And I'm sure, for those of you who watch network news, which I do not, but I would make a very educated guess on this one. I'm sure it depends on which network you watch, whether this is portrayed in a positive or a negative light. Coverage in the news is showing both sides in that some, you may hear talk about it as employees who have finally had enough, who have gotten sick of being treated like shit at their jobs. And on the other side, you're going to hear it as, you'll hear it portrayed as passive aggression, as the plight of companies who need good people in order to thrive as businesses who now cannot find them, who now have people who are no longer willing to go the extra mile. I think we all know, I think we can all get on board with this that there is a history in this country and worldwide of employers taking advantage of individual people's desire to better their own situation through working harder or working longer or taking on unpaid responsibility, etc. This is not a new thing. <laughs> and as much as we would like to think that in 2022, we have gotten rid of, at least in this country, we've gotten rid of a lot of um, horrible working conditions. We more so have just traded physical danger 
for different types. <laughs> there may have been a time where loyalty to a company was beneficial to the individual. There was a time, or maybe there were other industries, maybe there were multiple industries rather, in which you could go above and beyond. You could go the extra mile, take on more work, spend more time, essentially care more than you were being paid to. And it benefited you. It may get you somewhere. And that that may still exist in a lot of ways. But I would argue it's getting rarer. Is rarer a word? <laughs> it's getting more and more rare. Company loyalty no longer, if it ever did, I'm not sure, but it no longer serves the employee. Blah. It no longer serves the employee. Uh, there is a quote by Adam Grant. And by the way, for all of you who don't recognize that name, he's an author. You should go check his stuff out. Um, he's written multiple books. Really smart guy. I think he has a lot of worthwhile things to say. And I highly recommend reading some of his stuff. Adam Grant, and I, I think I've even talked about him before on this podcast. He has a quote regarding leadership. But I think it applies very much to um, the companies that you work for. He says, when you follow a leader, and in parentheses, I'm going to put when you work for a company that you support. When you follow a leader, consider what would lead you to withdraw your support. If the answer is nothing, your integrity is in jeopardy. Your highest loyalty belongs to principles and not people. Quote, companies. <laughs> no leader slash company deserves unconditional love. Commitment is earned through character. What I see more and more often is these places of employment in which we are all, you know, working to provide a living for ourselves are less and less deserving of our loyalty. And I would say at this point, in my own experience at least, I have never worked for a company, I've never worked for an individual that deserved my loyalty at all. <laughs> <laughs> much less my blind loyalty or my loyalty that elicits harder and harder extra unpaid work. <laughs> it is very much at this point a one-sided relationship. We see all the time people we know or maybe it's maybe it's you, maybe you're the one who is pouring themselves into a job. You are giving of yourself and not getting an equal return 
on that investment. It's very much a one-sided relationship that benefits your employer more than you. I don't remember who told me this or if I read it or if I heard somebody else say it. I've had this in my brain floating around for years and years and years, but it's something that I was never able to forget, never able to shake, especially after I started, you know, working as an adult and noticing this pop up everywhere I worked. The idea is you never accept an increase in responsibility without an equal increase in pay. And a lot of people will say that is a very black and white way of looking at things. That is not the way you're going to get ahead. That's not the way you're going to thrive at your place of business. And we have seen instances in which that was the case, right? In which the person that goes the extra mile, the person that kisses the most ass, the person that is willing to put up with the most bullshit sometimes will actually benefit in the short term. But I think what we need to be looking at is the long term. Because how many people do you know? How many times has this happened to you? Where you have accepted an increase in responsibility without an equal increase in pay. And then that became the new norm. That became your new standard. You were able to accomplish extra work without extra pay. And the company looks at that as this is your new standard. This is now what is expected of you. You accepting the extra, you going the extra mile, you going above and beyond is no longer viewed as you working harder, as you being more committed, as you being a model employee. It is now in black and white terms, the standard, the bare minimum. That is what you must do, not what you have chosen to do. If you can see where this is going, it doesn't really work out. In the end, you just end up doing more and more work. You end up getting taken advantage of. You end up breaking down working conditions for the rest of your coworkers, for future employees at that place of business. And it doesn't help anybody. Like I said, maybe it gets that individual to the next rung on the ladder in the short term, but in the big picture, in the long run, you are hurting not only yourself because now you have all this extra responsibility and extra stress and you aren't getting paid for it, but now it's expected of others. Now it changes the culture in little bits and pieces. The more that happens, the more the culture changes to now this is just what you do. And as we can all agree, as we look at inflation, as we look at how much it costs to live now, we can all agree that getting paid less to do more is bullshit. <laughs> that is the last thing anybody in the working force should want to be doing. We see this concept, 
this big picture very recently and often with teachers. And I'll say just in this state because I don't know any other states, like not being citizens of anywhere, any other state, I couldn't tell you as well. But in Washington, I can count multiple times in recent years, and by recent I mean in the last decade, in which teachers have gone on strike. Sometimes it's by district, sometimes it's statewide. Now let's get into the topic of teachers. <laughs> we should all be on the same page that teachers in public schools, and I'm speaking specifically to public schools here, are severely underpaid. They have terrible conditions in many districts with class sizes and lack of resources and expectations from all over because if you don't know let me spread a little bit of knowledge here if you're a public school teacher there is constant oversight from way too many entities to count <laughs> that's a little bit of an exaggeration because i can actually count them. <laughs> but you have constant oversight and interference from a federal level from the state level from district administration from individual school administration, from parents, and from the news. There is constant oversight. There is an ever-present microscope on teachers in the public school um, system. Recently, I had my friend John on the podcast. We did an interview a couple weeks ago. And as we said in that interview, he's a public school teacher. His district is currently on strike. The current strike that they are participating in focuses on wages, as you know, we would all expect, as well as working conditions, having to do with class size, caseload, and employee and student mental health within the district. All things I think that we can get on board with. And as we have seen with every strike that teachers go on, there is pushback. Many end up taking issue with teachers striking, saying shit like, well, kids need to be going to school. Kids need to have these teachers um, teaching them. These teachers are essential. They should be working. They should be doing this job out of passion, or sense of duty, obligation, because they care, whatever. If that is you, if you are in the camp, and I may lose some listeners here, <laughs> if you are in the camp of teachers should do this job out of the goodness of their hearts, please take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. <laughs> Okay, did you do it? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Who works for free? Let me just sit with that question, okay? Who do you know that works 
for free or should work for free? Seriously, answers. Let's go. These teachers do a job. Let's be real. At the end of the day, as important as they are, as critical as they are to the functioning of our country, they are doing a job and they deserve compensation. Just like everybody else who is doing a job, who goes to work, who is employed at a business, you get paid for the time and work that is expected of you, right? You go to work. If you're hourly, you get paid for the hours you're there, for the stuff that you do while you're there. If you're salaried, and it's a little grayer, I know, with salary, but if you're salaried, you get paid a certain amount a year to do a certain amount of work, okay? Teachers do not, should not, can not work out of the goodness of their hearts. There's so much I could say on that, but I'm not trying to turn this into a crazy long episode. I want this to be relatively digestible. <laughs> so if we look at a, at a strike like this in a specific district, you say on paper, right, where we're striking for wages, for fair wages, and we're striking for working conditions. Okay, that's very standard stuff. If we can step back and look at it from a bigger picture, somebody please tell me how you think that public school teachers in this state are compensated fairly. How teachers in the public sector in the whole country are compensated fairly. We are all completely aware of how costly it is to live in Washington State in Western Washington specifically, which happens to be where this particular strike is occurring in one district here in Western Washington. Are we really saying, is the school district really saying you do not deserve to make a wage that allows you to live in the community in which you work? Is that what we're saying? So given that, (laughs) (laughs) state of affairs tied back to the whole quiet quitting thing. What you see is in this case, a strike their union. They are part of the teacher's union. So they strike to better conditions to better salaries or are they salaried? Yeah. To better salaries. Um, they strike because as we all know, Employers are rarely willing to increase wages to better working conditions unless they have to. And sometimes this is the only way that they realize that they have to. So what do people do? Bringing it back around. What do people do when they're not part of a union, when they have no recourse in a general strike like that, when they cannot band together with their coworkers and say, we will not continue to provide this service unless we are compensated fairly. 
there are two options. <laughs> Number one is you can quit, right? Like leave your job. We're all aware of that one. That comes with a very big issue, which is not having a job, right? Not having income um, and having to then go out on your own and find your next source of income. It's common, but that is an issue that you have to deal with. Or you quit quietly, (laughs) which is, let's just talk about for a second, a terrible term. You know that this term, quiet quitting, or the quiet quitter, was not coined by the labor force. (laughs) Because you are not quitting at all. What it really is, as we discussed at the beginning of this episode, is setting fucking boundaries at work. Saying, I am not going to be taken advantage of, and because I am uh, meeting my contractual obligations, you cannot fire me. (laughs) Um, Go fuck yourself. (laughs) That's what it is. Um, The term... Calling it quiet quitting, calling these people quiet quitters, paints them in a negative light. We all view quitting in any sense as a negative, right? Like, oh, you gave up. Oh, you let people down. That's not what's happening. You are not letting anybody down. You are meeting your contractual obligations and refusing to be taken advantage of. That is all you're doing. And... There has been such a history, such a culture of that not being the norm of people going above and beyond and going that extra mile that it is now like, oh, what are you doing? You should want to better yourself. You should want to help out. You should want to climb the ladder or, you know, do more. And as we discussed, that's not getting you anywhere. Okay, so... We have people who can't strike who are now doing the whole quote-unquote quiet quitting thing because they have no other recourse. Could they quit for real? Sure. Then you're out of work. They do this because they can continue to collect that paycheck that is required to live in this country. It is required for you to have an income. So they continue to collect, they continue to, you know, have their health insurance provided by their employer, and they don't let themselves get taken advantage of. And I would imagine that, you know, as as we see this unfortunate trend of employers not giving two shits about their employees continue... You're going to see, or at least, you know, have it publicized more. You're going to see this um, more often where employees who are not part of a union, right? Who can't strike, who don't have the ability to quit are just going to get fed up and say, well, I no longer choose to participate in this bullshit and you will continue to pay me for the job that I will continue to do and no more and no less. So at this point, you might ask, Justice, what's your point (laughs) with all of this? 
why have you rambled for half an hour about unions and working conditions and fair pay and whatever? Here's my point. Know your worth and get what you're worth, okay? And by the way, if anyone's curious, that's what a lot of unions were built on, right? When these, when larger unions started gaining traction in the 1800s, early 1900s, it was because people were not getting what they were worth. Speaking from personal experience, well, not personal experience, from my own personal um, experience as a union member, I guess, was what we'll call it. The union I am a part of, the IBEW, was started in the late 1800s when electrical workers, who at that time were, you know, basically cowboys (laughs) out there uh, trying to spread electricity across the United States... They were dying at a 50% rate. 50% of electrical workers in the year that the IBW was founded, I want to say it was 1885. That's probably wrong, but I think it was 1885. 50% of those workers were dying because it was so unsafe. But they were viewed as essential. The country was being electrified. We were going to spread electrical systems throughout the country. These linemen who were running, you know, poles and wires and lines all outside were dying at a rate of 50%. And because we needed them, there was a line outside the door for replacements. Somebody died. They brought their tools back in. The next guy comes in the door. They pick up the tools of the dead guy and they go back out to work. And at some point, some people were like, I think we're worth a little bit better. You know, maybe we're getting good, good pay at that point. There was a line of people out the door waiting to get paid. But we're worth better working conditions. We should not be dying at this 50% rate. I should not go out with my, my, Co-workers and know that half of us aren't going to come back. <laughs> so they got together and we're like, hey, we're not going to continue to work unless we fix some shit. <laughs> you know? So, little side note, that's what unions were built on. We're worth more. Let's get together and get what we're worth. Nobody is going to look out for you except for you in the workplace. You are responsible for getting where you want to be, for getting paid what you deserve, for being treated how you deserve to be treated. Know what you're worth, like I said. Know what you're worth and get what you're worth. And it's all on you. And for any of you... Any of you listening who know my own story, you can see how I have backed that up with action. But for those of you who don't, just a tiny bit of background here. In my time as an electrician, I have done a lot 
to further my own course. I'm 31. And at this point in time, I am the youngest person in this fairly large government entity that I work for. I am the youngest person, the youngest, I should say, electrician currently, and the youngest one that they've ever hired. And, it, and I'm talking like a big government institution here in, in Seattle. I didn't get there because I allowed other people to tell me what I should be doing for myself. I didn't allow myself to be complacent with what was expected or with what other people were doing. I didn't take shit, <laughs> essentially. I said, I'm a good electrician and I know what I'm worth and I have the means to get what I'm worth. And this is all outside of the context of being a union member and, you know, having that contract that we fight for regularly. This is all outside of that own of, of that context. This is just me saying I'm responsible for my own success and I'm going to get my success. And what that led to was no loyalty to any company, no loyalty to any one person, excuse me, to any one person like you know a foreman or a journeyman or a company owner or a project manager like a lot of people call it chasing the money which has a certain amount of truth to it but i call it knowing what you're worth and getting what you're worth this episode may have rambled a little bit and i, I realize that but i think it deserves talking about this idea of the quiet quitter, this idea of what it means to be a good employee or um, what it means to be loyal, what it means to be loyal to yourself versus to another entity like a leader or in this case, a company, an employer. It's something that deserves a conversation because we can see that it's not working. We can see companies make more and more money and COVID, as I continue to say over and over again, COVID was a great microscope on this issue. Companies, owners, executives, investors made money hand over fist. They continued to do so. And employees, people in the workforce, people on the labor side, continue to be devalued, continue to be taken advantage of. And there is no impetus for change at the corporate level, at the management level, at the ownership level. There's no impetus for change because they are driven by profits and those have only gotten better. My point being, if you want to better your situation, if you want to not get taken advantage of, if you want to you know, not hate your job, <laughs> you're going to have to take matters into your own hands. And if you are fortunate enough to be a part of a union that works on your behalf, that gives a shit, you know, all the better. And we saw that, you know, in semi recent news with Starbucks, right? We saw those, uh, 
uh, Starbucks stores unionizing. We want better conditions. We don't want to get treated like shit. We want to make a living wage in this fucking crazy expensive city that we work in, in Seattle. And what did Starbucks do? They closed the stores. Think about that. Rather than have employees have better conditions, be happier at work, get paid a living wage, they would rather close the store and have nobody work there and have no revenue coming out of that location. That is what you're dealing with, people. Keep that in mind. That mentality is common among employers. Your well-being as an employee is often the very last concern. And if there's anything I want you to take away from this episode, it's that. You are working for an entity who values you, who values your well-being less than literally anything else, than less than any other part of the business. Your well-being as an individual is the last priority. Keep that in mind, please. (laughs) On that dire note, (laughs) we'll wrap it up here. So something I want everybody to think of for the future is I'm going to have, as I've mentioned before, a friend of mine on the podcast. She is a nurse, and she has been in the healthcare field throughout the entirety of the pandemic. So we are going to ask her some questions regarding what did she really see, you know, in the healthcare system as we were sending people to the hospital in droves, as we were having hundreds of, th- hundreds of thousands of people die from a disease, right? Uh, I think she's going to have a lot of good insight and I am pretty excited to ask her some of my own questions But what I want you to think about is any questions you might have. This isn't so much like the interview that I did with Veronica, the sex coach. We are not going to necessarily cover only listener questions during this next interview with uh, the nurse. But it will definitely help me to um, get a good idea of the collective confusion surrounding what actually happened during the pandemic when things were at the worst. So feel free. I'm encouraging you, please send me your questions and comments regarding somebody who was a nurse during COVID. As always, you can find this podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on all sorts of different platforms. It's hosted on Podbean at justicetenna.podbean.com. And you can find all subsequent links to other um, distribution platforms there. If you want to get a hold of me, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you want to be on the podcast, you can email me at your podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on Instagram, where I post weekly regarding these episodes at your underscore exbf underscore podcast still looking for a sign off (laughs) i have not figured out a good one yet 
Um, so maybe I'll just try one and you tell me what you think. My new sign off is going to be stay horny. <laughs> stay horny guys and gals. <laughs> all right. We'll leave it at that. So I will talk to y'all next week, next Sunday, and look forward at some point to having a nurse on the show. Uh, take care, stay safe, and get what you're worth.